So this morning, uh, as we continue this year thinking about having an unshakable faith, this morning we're going to explore the challenging choices that all of us face between what is easy and what is right. What is easy and what is right. And, And why choosing what is right over what is easy matters so much when it comes to having an unshakable faith. Like as, as someone who is really passionate about preaching and communicating, uh, all, like all the time since I was 15 years old and started preaching my very first message in this church, I've always got radar for stories and quotes and life examples of things that I can draw in my little Evernote book uh, and use in future and think, oh, that, that's, that's a good story and I, or that's a good quote. And I remember, um, don't judge me, I remember seeing in 2005 Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And right at the end of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore, he turns to Harry and he says this brilliant quote. If you've ever seen these movies or read the book, then you'll know. And he says this, dark times lie ahead of us, Harry, and there will be a time where we must choose between what is easy and what is right. Dark times lie ahead of us and... We must choose between what is easy and what is right. And I remember the very first time I heard that, I thought to myself, that will preach. That will preach. Like, because all of us, perhaps even every day of our lives, in these difficult days that we are in, and these are difficult days, like all of us find ourselves faced with choices every day or in seasons of our life, and there's usually an easy choice. But the easy choice is often not the right choice. And we're faced with that dilemma. I wonder if you can think of a time when you were faced with an easy choice or a right choice. A few weeks back, Amy and I, we had dinner uh, with my sons and daughter-in-law up in Darlington. Uh, my youngest son, Dan, had invited us to come up and spend a few days with him in Darlington uh, as a Christmas present. And we, he paid for us to go for an escape room. We escaped, obviously. We did. We did. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and then he took us to this amazing restaurant in, in Darlington, which is one of these all-you-can-eat meat restaurants. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these things. Like, it's, you know, when I say all-you-can-eat meat restaurants, you, you, there were five of us around the table, and basically they just, they just keep coming with, with meat, various types of meats, beef, sirloin, fillet, chicken, pork, sausages, like a whole bunch, like if, if you're a vegan, vegetarian, have mercy on me, but, but like, you know, they, they just kept coming, they're slicing it off onto your plate, like they had a saddle bar, I had no idea what that was about, I just, I don't know, you know, I did, everyone got sat, I thought, why do, why would you want to fill up a salad at a meat place, I, I, you'll be pleased, I did get a little bit of coleslaw and a little bit of rice. And uh, anyway, we were there for about two hours, and I find myself near the end of that two hours in a choice between what is easy and what is right. Because, because it was so easy, because this was all paid for. You know, Dan had kindly paid for it, and we could have just kept going. It would have been easy to just keep going. Like My love for meat like, was just like, come on, keep it coming. But I knew that it was right, eventually, in honoring my body to stop to stop and eventually I did although I did have meat sweats all night must be a sign of old age like we all have choices don't we 
between what is right and what is easy. And I wonder even today, I wonder even today for you, if you find yourself in the grip of a choice between what is easy and what is right. Like, is there a way for us that choosing the right thing to do can end up becoming easier than it currently is? And so we're going to look at a guy in the Bible who seemed to be really good at doing the right thing and making good choices that just in the end seemed to come much easier for him. And... Uh, and because of that, as we'll see in this story, he had truly like an unshakable faith and an unshakable life. And we're going to look at a chapter in his life that demonstrates this. And so if you've got a Bible, we are going to turn to probably what is one, aside from Jesus, one of the most famous stories in the whole of the Bible. And the amazing thing for me is in 37 years of preaching, I've never preached on this chapter, which is Daniel chapter 6. And it's Daniel in the... Lion's Den, Daniel in the Lion's Den, Daniel chapter 6. Now, a little bit of background as you uh, turn on your phone and find that. So this story takes place two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, Daniel, when he was 20 years old, uh, he found that his, his nation was invaded by the Babylonians. It was destroyed. And he and, and hundreds, thousands of others found themselves exiled to the Babylonian Empire, age 20. And then by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, he's around 80 years old. He's been there for 60 years. So he's been there a long time. And he now is serving the Persian king. The Persians have invaded Babylon. He started serving a Babylonian king. And then the Persians invaded. And now he's serving a Persian king called Darius. And I'm going to read the whole story because it's a great story. So here we go. This is Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two officers as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Soon, Daniel proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. It's like the king says, this guy's so good, I'm going to make him prime minister. But then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. And so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live Darius. We're all in agreement that the king should make a law that, we will, be, that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of the lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it can't be changed. An official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So they're kind of appealing to Darius's ego. And he's like, this sounds a great idea. I love the idea of everyone just praying to me. It sounds great. 
So verse 9, so he signs the law, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards heaven. He prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, and they found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king, and they reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. The decision still stands. It's an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you in your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. King likes Daniel. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, who you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment. Couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the dead. Not a scratch was even found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And then the king gave orders to arrest the men who'd maliciously accused Daniel, had them thrown in the dyer's den along horrifically with their wives and children. Lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear between the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. For this God rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, and he wants to rescue you today as well. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's a great story, isn't it? Great story. And the thing that strikes me, there's so much about this story that strikes me, is that when we look at this story and we look at all that happens with Daniel, it appears that at no point in this story is Daniel shaken. At no point is he 
fearful, anxious, angry, bitter, despite the fact that he's been betrayed, despite the fact that he's been threatened, despite the distinct probability of his impending demise, he does not hide, he doesn't run, he faces this terrible life-threatening situation with confidence, with courage, and with calm. I want to be like Daniel. Like, don't you, get, don't you get weary at times? I get weary at times. Been weary of myself this week. Which like, I can be doing really well. Life can be really good. And someone can say something. And something can, someone can do something. And literally, like a switch at the back of my head goes off. The anxiety button hits me. The sicky feeling at the back of my throat. I have this emotional roller coaster of, like, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm, I'm, I'm sleepless, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm joyful. I'm just this emotional roller coaster at times. And I wish at times I could just be confident, courageous, and calm. Am I alone? Anyone else in the house like that? And, and so Daniel's like that. So he's like, what's going on? Like, like, why is he like this? Like, is he some spiritual superhuman? He's not. He's just a bloke like, like me. He's, he's like, there's nothing perfect around him. But there is a key. There's a little verse that we see in this that kind of gives us a clue towards him being unshaken in life and in faith. And it's in verse 10. It says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day. Here it is. Just as he had always done. Just as he has always done, giving thanks to God. Just as he had always done. You see, here is a guy, a Jewish guy, 80 years old, and he has spent the whole of his life, every day, seeking to make right choices. Every day making right choices. Every day. It wasn't like suddenly he finds himself in this difficult situation When the pressure comes upon him, because he's built a whole life of right choices, when the pressure comes on me in in this moment, again, I'm just going to make the right choices because that's what I do. I make right choices. I'm committed to do that. His feelings and his actions are not determined by his circumstances or the situations or the storms that he finds himself in. Like He spent decades, 60 years or more, making right, even costly decisions, that when he finds himself in a storm, those decisions keep him. They hold him. And so he is confident, courageous, and calm. And I I want to suggest there are three choices, three decisions that he makes. And I hopefully will encourage me and will encourage you and I that we make these choices every day. And when the storms come... It will be easier for keep making those choices because this is what we do. We just make these right choices. And here's the first choice that we see, that he makes the choice, the decision. He is diligent in being the best that he can be. To be the best that he can be. Like Daniel is committed to be the best that he can be in all that he does. And whilst he is clearly working for King Darius, ultimately he knows he is working in every way, in everything he says, in everything he does. His real boss is God. And even Darius knows that. Like we read it twice. Darius says, the God who you faithfully serve. Even Darius knows that ultimately 
Daniel serves God before he serves Darius. Like, he knows this. Like, he, he gets it that, that right at the very heart of who Daniel is, is recognizing everything I do in my work, in my life, everything is an act of worship. It's an act of service to God. And I always want to bring my very best to God. And if I'm going to bring my best to God, that, means I, that inevitably means I bring my best to my workplace. I bring my best to my family. I bring my best to the neighbors. I bring my best to the cashier. I loved that um, age and Plas poem that you read this morning. I love that. I remember first hearing that, you know, it is finished. It, it's not fully finished. The work of God is not fully finished until we love people like Jesus loves them. Like it's not, there's more of God in us that is needed to be his absolute best. And the reason that he knew it was so important to be his best is because it wasn't about his reputation. It was about God's reputation. That he knew if he behaved badly, that these people who knew he was a God follower, a Jesus follower in our New Testament language, then it would look, make God look bad. Make followers of God look bad. But, you know, I, I remember uh, telling you a story a couple of weeks ago with my good friend Phil about when I had a company car and Phil drove it and he had an accident and he wasn't insured and I had a choice between the easy choice to lie about it and, and the right choice to be truthful and just face the consequences. Like, listen next to two weeks ago if, uh, or, or four weeks ago. Let me tell you a time where I didn't get it so right. And so this was in my earlier years of working for T-Mobile and uh, my boss had asked me to move a computer from our big computer room and to uh, take it off-site uh, somewhere. And so I go into this big air-conditioned room. There are lots and lots of computers. I find the computer that I've got to take. It's like, it has to go on a trolley. It's pretty large. But I can literally lift it, and I've got this very squeaky trolley. And it's like... It's very squeaky, very irritating. Anyway, I, I, I find the plug, I unplug it, I put it on the trolley, and I go to pull it away. And then the, the power cable goes tight. And so I think, oh, that's a bit odd. And so I follow the power cable, and I realize it's still plugged in, people, which means that I've unplugged something else. And so I unplug this thing, I put it, and then I find the thing I've unplugged, and I put it back, I plug it in. And when it plugs in, this horrible sound happened. I literally heard what sounded like quite an important piece of machinery suddenly go, I thought, like, that, that doesn't, that, 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 that doesn't sound good. And so literally, we had this big room, it was about as big as this, uh, not, as, not, as, not as deep, and uh, there was a door that side, there was a door that side, so I literally, I'm going like, towards this door, and as I do that, the IT director and a whole bunch of people, they run, they burst in like panic all over their face, like, you know, like some disasters happened, apparently, like 1,500 computers suddenly lost their connection to the network, they just suddenly went down, like, who, how did that happen? So I, you know, so I can hear all this panic, and I'm just... So I hid by my desk for a bit. I literally, I hid by my desk for a bit. Just thought, like, just don't want to make it too obvious. Don't want to make it too obvious. And then, anyway, the IT director, Martin, he, he, he comes down, he sits at my little pod, he sits on the desk, I remember. He says, um, Matt, because he saw me, he said, Matt, um, did, did, you, did you unplug the um, whatever it was called? Now, remember, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm one who knows that sometimes the right choice is not the easy choice. 
that it's not just my reputation. Like he knew I was a Christian. He knew I was a follower of Jesus. So he looks into my soul and he says, did you unplug it? And I looked at him and went, no. <laughs> no. No. And then the problem is, I, he knew I was lying. And so he then said to me, and he went, I, are you sure you, he, like, he gave you a bit of grace. Are you sure you didn't just knock it? So then I went, oh, I might have. <laughs> and then I squeaked off. And f- about four years later, I had this interview in this company magazine. And, uh, and, and they said, what's the most embarrassing thing that happened? And I confessed. And I confessed. And it's a funny story, but the truth is it matters. Because I don't want to have a reputation in my workplace, in my life, that I'm not someone who tells the truth. I know that as a follower of Jesus, we're called to be deliberately different, to to risk getting trouble at work because you do the right thing and not the easy thing. Daniel has this incredible reputation. Verse 3, he's more capable. Like the Hebrew word literally means like he's in a class of his own. There's a level of excellence about him. Like when, when the king says... He noticed in that verse, again, it says he has great ability. The, the two Hebrew words literally mean there is an extraordinary spirit about Daniel. An extraordinary, there's something bright and shining. It's almost like the words of Jesus that will be said in decades and decades and centuries later where Jesus said, we are supposed to be the light of the world. It's like Darius is saying, like, this guy's like light. There's something about him. And so in verse 4, his jealous rivals, they're trying to take him out. And they literally can't figure. They can't find anything. No skeletons. You know, they set the sun editorial team. They cannot find any skeletons in this guy's closet. The only thing they can get him on is his faith because they find him to be loyal, faithful, trustworthy, reliable, honest. And, and, And again, in the Hebrew, it literally means that there is not a hint of corruption and deceit about him. It's no surprise then, is it, that Darius wants this guy in his team. He wants this guy in the room because, because Darius knows when Daniel's in the room, the room is better. I want to ask you today, when you're in the room, is the room better? Does the, does the atmosphere you carry, are people pleased when you step into the room because they know that light and goodness and truth and hope and joy and honesty and reality and vulnerability, when you step into the room, are people like, oh, it's so good that Phil's jumped in, that Felicity has jumped in, that Claire has jumped in. I'm so pleased she's in the room because this, there's something about this person. They're being a their best self. Daniel is diligent in being his best self. And so when the storm hits, because he's built this decision to be his best in everything he does for the glory of God, he's not wanting people to praise him. He's pointing at Jesus. Then when his big storm hits, his first choice is then, so what does it mean to be my best now? To be my best now. I've spent the whole of my life trying to be my best. Now I find myself in a really sticky situation How can I be my best now? Because let's face it, sometimes there's a lid on our best. Remember, like his goal is not to be better than anyone else. Comparison kills. 
All of us, we have limitations and limits on our lives. And whatever those are, work-wise, financial-wise, relationship-wise, whatever-wise, health-wise, whatever the limitations you have, God is still able to bring out bestness and goodness in you. And you can be good news in the room. And that's what he does. But of course, the problem with this, when you're committed to bring your best in a God-honoring way, lots of people will love it, some people won't. And so then jealousy and bitterness strikes in. I feel like, I just feel the nudge of the Spirit that there are some of you in this room today and you have brought your best. And in your workplace right now, you're finding people are being unkind to you, vindictive you, talking behind your back, doing all things. You are living your best and people are behaving badly. That is hard, but that's why this next choice is so important because not only is he wanting to be his best, secondly, he is diligent. He's making the right choice to honor all his relationships, even those who dishonor him. Even those who dishonor him. He does God's way of relationships. He doesn't speak ill of those who have betrayed him. He doesn't go to the king and say, king, like, you know, they've tricked you. These guys are terrible. He doesn't get upset with the king who's basically signed his own death warrant. He doesn't do any of those things. He's got a very healthy work ethic and he's got a very healthy relationship ethic. And he chooses to honor those even who have dishonored him. And because of that, his heart stays soft and not hard and bitter. Like last year, last August, I had the privilege of marrying my son, uh, Andy and Alice. And my little message with them, and I put it in my message in the email this week, uh, that if you're going to have a health, healthy relationship like Jesus, here are the three things you should do. Think the best, forgive the worst, and love the most. Think the best. Think the best of people. You can imagine, like Daniel, you know, with these people, you know, he was probably irritatingly full of grace. These people have treated you really, really badly. Yeah, I know, but I can understand they're a bit upset with me because the king's wanting to promote, you know, to promote them. And they've probably got their own story. You know, maybe they'd had a difficult childhood or whatever. And maybe the king spoke really, really hard. You know, I'm just going to think the best of those who want me dead to forgive the worst. And you know what? I choose to forgive them because I want to keep my heart soft and then to love the most. Danny, Daniel clearly lived by those choices. Like he is diligent in honoring those who've dishonored him. And, and, and so because he's so committed to think the best and forgive the worst and to love the most, because that's the choice that he makes every single day of his life, God helping him, when the storms come, he just does it just as he has always done. Just as he's always done. Just as he has always done. This morning. Let me tell you about the cake. Amy made three beautiful cakes, people. They, they, they were great. And, and I, I went to walk the dog and, and uh, have a little pray before this morning. And I came back and she was still at home. I said, okay, um, I will put all the things. We've got pulled pork. We've got cakes. I will put it in the car for you because that's the kind of servant-hearted guy I am. <laughs> and what can go wrong? What can go wrong? So, so I put the pulled pork on the back seat, and I put one of the things. Anyway, I went, I went inside, and Amy, Amy says, you probably want to put the pulled pork on the, on the, on the base lid because there's the kind of juices and stuff. And so I went back to the back seat, and there were juices now on the back seat. So I had to <laughs> clean that up, put it in a bag, put it on the front seat. But in order to do that, I had to move the chocolate cake that was on the, 
in front of the, you know, the, the, the floor in front of the passenger on the, you know, what's it called? The footwell. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. So I lifted up this cake and something demonic happened. I don't know how it happened. But the tin that it was in, it just erupted. And the chocolate cake, this beautiful chocolate cake, it literally went in the air. It was like, and it just landed face down in the footwell. Just all that lovely, all that lovely ice, chocolate icing sugar, now covered in dog hair. I looked at it. Where will I stay tonight? So I came in, I came in, and like, and I got a knife, and I just took the top off it. Because it literally, it was all on the top. Those you're going to have it later. It's fine. It's, it is fine. I took the top. It was all just the top. It literally went, it didn't roll. It, it went like that. Took the top off. And then I walked the march of death upstairs. Amy, there has been an accident. I was trying to be helpful. She came down. At first, she was not pleased. And then within 30 seconds, she said, I'm not angry at you. It's a bit stressy. I love you. I really appreciate. I really appreciate you trying to to, do that. And she almost meant it. (laughs) But friends, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Being kind, being good, being honourable, even when people do stupid things. This is, what, this is what Daniel is committed to do. So when it gets tough, he's just committed to be kind and honourable to people. And so when people even are at their worst, he honours them. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is okay. We're not condoning people's bad behaviour. He honours them. And then, and then finally... So he makes the choice of being his best. He makes the choice of honoring all his relationships. And then finally, very quickly, and then we're going to have some response, he makes the choice of just staying centered on God in everything. Like, he could have got mad at God, couldn't he? God, like, I'm praying every day. I'm doing all this stuff. Like, the least you could do is keep me alive. He could have got mad. He could have negotiated. God, um, 30 days. I'm not going to pray for 30 days. Is that okay? Like, you know I love you. I'll be praying in my head. He could have done all that kind of stuff. And I love the fact, this is, this, is, this is what's so awesome about Daniel. Daniel is, get his, there is a law that says, if you go and pray, you will die. And he thinks, I need to pray about that. And what does he do? He goes back just as he has always done because he has a life of prayer. His prayer life's not based on what's going on in his life. He doesn't just pray loads when the storms hit. He prays loads as a habit, as a practice. He just does it. And so when the storms hit, just as he's always done, he just goes to be with God. And he flings the windows open so that all of his adversaries can clearly see that he's still with Team Jesus. That he's still full of faith. And it says he prays prays with thankfulness. He prays with thankfulness. And then he prays, asking God for help. But his first response is thankfulness, 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 thankfulness. Why? Because that's how he prays. That's how he prays every day. 
It's part of his language. It's the way his mindset works, where he can come before God and say, God, these guys, they want to kill me, but thank you that you're with me, and thank you that you love me, and thank you that you'll never leave me, and thank you that you will bring me through this. And, and maybe the lions will eat me, and maybe that I won't, but either way, I will be with you. Thank you, God, that you will never give up on me. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, your kindness, your grace. Thank you, God, that you're healing me, changing me, restoring me. Thank you, God, that you're helping me to be my best even when I don't feel like being my best. Thank you that you help me love and forgive people even when I don't feel like forgiving you. Thank you, God, that every day when I surrender my life to you and and escape in moments with you and allow your Holy Spirit to be at work in me, you are changing me to make me a better human being, which is good for me and good for the whole world and brings glory to you, brings reputation to you, Lord, because that's what my life is about, bringing glory to you. You can imagine these guys saying, uh, uh, Daniel, it seems that you love God more than you love Darius. Guilty as charged. It seems that you love uh, praying more than you love your life. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. My whole life is about him. And whether I live with him now or for all eternity, I am thankful. Because life without him, even in the storms, is far worse than life uh, with him. And so I choose life with him. I choose thankfulness. And in the midst of that thankfulness, I say, and God, if you're going to help in some way, please do. It's what he did every single day. And so when it comes to the worst moment of his life, he just does what he's always done. Here we are again, God. Here we are again, meeting with you. Meeting with you. As we finish, team, do you want to come up? As we finish, I remember when we had our discipleship day in January, uh, Amy did this little talk, and at the end of it she said, "Um, start today what you want to be tomorrow. Start today what you want to be tomorrow. And so I want to ask you, as you think about this, how do we build an unshakable faith? Looking at the example of Daniel, who was rescued from the lions. But if you look at the first and second century, you'll hear the story of many Christians who were eaten by lions. His story is a miracle. It means it doesn't happen very often. So this is not like, if I do all these things, then I won't be eaten and killed. No, 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 that's not the promise. The promise is, if you do these things, you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. Start today. Start today to resolve, what does it mean for me, Lord, to be my best in the world? To bring glory to you in my workplace, in my family. What does it mean? What does that look like? Start today to say, Lord, I want to honor people. I want to be kind to people. I want to... I want to think the best, forgive the worst, love the most. I want to make that choice. Start today to build habits of being with Jesus every day in prayer and in scripture. Like if you're one of those people, you've been following Jesus and and you would still say to me, you know, I don't know my Bible very well. Start today to get to know, to build those habits. Start small, build them up. And what you'll find is if you spend the rest of your life Being your best, honoring and loving people and keeping God at the center and being with him in prayer, then whatever happens, even in the shadow of death, you will be okay. You'll be good. And I'm not there. You're not there. That's the journey of the whole of our life. And so 
I, I'm going to just, let's just have a moment just of, of silence, just for a second. And I want to speak to those of us in this room who right now are faced with an easy choice or a right choice. And I want to specifically pray for you that God, by his spirit, will fill you so much full of himself that you will make the right choice. And that will start to become a habit for you where you know you've gone for easy choices. But easy choices ultimately don't bring life. They bring momentary pleasure and joy, but no long-term gain. And so if, if today you, you are knowing through what I've said there's a right choice to be made, I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you just to stand. You know, don't you tell me what it is. But if you know today you are faced with an easy choice versus a right choice, then I want to pray for you that God will give you courage to make the right choice. If that's you, why don't you just stand right where you are? I know there are people in this room who are in that place. It's great. Other people, anyone else? The right choice or the easy choice. God, help me make the right choice. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Lord, we stand here together conflicted. We're honest with you about that. Here is the easy choice. Here is the right choice. And we know we're standing because we know you are asking us with courage to make the right choice. And to leave this room today deciding that and living in the good of it. And so I pray for my friends here as they stand, that Holy Spirit, you would come right now and that you would give them that courage and that sense of peace. Yes, this is what I will do. God helping me to bring glory to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. And I pray that as they make that step, that this week they will see the good fruit of it, of God in their lives. The right choice versus the easy choice. In Jesus' name, amen.